This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. The lady who wrote that great hymn, Blessed Assurance, Fanny Crosby, was completely blind, but I think God had given her great sight. Thank you so much for that. What a beautiful rendering of that, our band, and thank you all. Great to hear your, your voices out there, praising the Lord. Well, let's um, look at Isaiah. We, we got back into Isaiah last week, so we looked at chapters 1 through 39 in the fall, and what we're going to do here in the winter and the spring is we're going to be in chapters 40 through 66. And so today we're going to be in chapter 41 of Isaiah, which is all about the story of your life being swept up into a larger story, the big story of what God is doing in this world. So Isaiah chapter 41, and I'm going to be reading a, a good chunk of that um, as we go along. We'll read parts of uh, verses 1 through 20. I'll be in the CSB, the Christian Standard uh, Bible, as we typically are week to week. To week. Isaiah 41, and let's begin with verse 1. Be silent before me, coasts and islands, and let peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, let them testify. Let's come together for the trial. Who has stirred up someone from the east? In righteousness, he calls him to serve. The Lord hands nations over to him. He subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword, like wind-driven stubble with his bow. Let's skip to verse 7. The craftsman encourages the metal worker. The one who flattens with the hammer encourages the one who strikes with the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. He fastens it with nails so that it will not fall over. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Be sure that all who, have, who are enraged against you will be ashamed and disgraced. Those who contend with you will become as nothing and will perish. You will look for those who contend with you, but you will not find them. Those who war against you will become absolutely nothing. For I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you. This is the Lord's declaration. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. See, I will make you into a sharp threshing board. New with many teeth, you will thresh mountains and pulverize them and make hills into chaff. You will winnow them, and a wind will carry them away. A whirlwind will scatter them. 
but you will both rejoice in the Lord. You will boast in the Holy One of Israel. The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. I will answer them. I am the Lord, the God of Israel. I will not abandon them. I will open rivers on the barren heights and springs in the middle of the plains. I will turn the desert into a pool and dry land into springs. I will plant cedar, acacia, myrtle, and olive trees in the wilderness. I will put juniper, elm, and cypress trees together in the desert so that all may see and know, consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the sheer beauty that we see in these words that you gave to your servant Isaiah and that you give to us. And, and Lord, we pray that you would help us to see this morning how the story of each one of our lives is meant to really be swept up into a larger story that you were carrying out in this world. Lord, you're aware of, of the needs of each person in this room, each, each person who is watching. And we pray now that by the power of your spirit that you'd be doing all kinds of good and beautiful things and lives that will redound to your glory now and throughout all eternity. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. What are you most looking forward to in a <laughs> when the world gets back to normal? <laughs> what are you looking forward to that you haven't been able to do since March? I mean, it could be going to a movie. It could be going to a, a, a concert. Uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to is getting back to Yankee Stadium <laughs> with a big crowd surrounding me and cheering on uh, those guys in pinstripes. It is hard for me to convey to non-baseball people how much I enjoy a ball game. And I can watch it on TV, and that's great, but I, I, it, it does not, for me, it does not substitute for, for being there live and in person, so the, 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 the buzz and the energy of the crowd all around you, looking down at that field of green, that green field just kind of fanning out. And, and then for, for me, a baseball game is like a drama. It's like a nine-act play that just kind of unfolds in front of me and you get, you get caught up in that drama. But as much as I enjoy it, I'm never going to be anything but a spectator in that drama. But there is a far greater drama that God is doing in this world. And if you're following Jesus, you're not just going to be a spectator. You're going to be swept right up into it. Now that's what Isaiah 41 is all about. What do we see here in this chapter? First of all, we see God's heart for all peoples. God's heart for all peoples. Look with me at verse 1. Be silent before me, coasts and islands, and let peoples 
renew their strength. So when you see this phrase, coast and islands, see it many times in Isaiah, what's being talked about is people who live in, in distant places who do not know God. When he talks here about the peoples, plural, He's talking about the, the, the peoples in this world who, who don't know God. They're what missiologists today would refer to as UPGs, unreached people groups. And these are peoples who, who have their own culture, in many cases their own language. What they do not have is God or access to the message about God. This is why we send missionaries Because these people have to have help from outside if they're going to know who God is. Someone has to go and begin to make disciples among these peoples and plant churches among these peoples. Well, God has compassion for these peoples. He says, says, let the peoples renew their strength. Does that sound familiar to you? What What did we just, how did we just end last week? In, in 4031, that verse that we, that we love, chapter 40 and verse 31, but those who trust in the Lord will what? Renew their strength. And now the very next verse, at the beginning of 41, he says, let the peoples renew their strength. In other words, God's heart is that all peoples would be renewed in him. His heart, as Jesus says in Luke 19.10, is to seek and to save the lost. And these people who live in these coasts and islands without God, these places who have never heard of God, they are utterly lost, trapped in idolatry. Look at verse 7. The craftsman encourages the metal worker. The one who flattens with the hammer encourages the one who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. Does that sound familiar? After, in Genesis 1, day after day, as God is speaking the world into creation, what does God say about what he has done? He looked upon it and it And it was good. What Isaiah is doing here here is he's using parody. The true and living God speaks the universe into existence and he says it is good. These metal workers (laughs) craft these (laughs) pathetic little idols And at the end of that process, they say, they look upon what they have made and they say, it is good. It it is a picture of the futility of idol worship. He's saying that these these people who, who don't know God are reduced to manufacturing their own little idols to help them. I read such a sad story this week. Wow, it was from India. And this happens all the time there. Um, But this young man, 32-year-old man, had committed suicide um, because he had been 
unemployed for a number of years. He was, he, he was an engineering graduate, but he hadn't been able to find a job. And, and so he was so desperate you know, to, to be employed that he, he made a deal with one of the gods that if, 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 if you give me a job, I will sacrifice my life to you. And he, and he got a good job. In, in, a, in, a, in a bank and in Mumbai and you know but after working there for a couple of weeks he just went out one day and hurled his body in front of a train and they found a note in his pocket and it said I am going to God who gave me a job this happens all the time where people make a make a pact with a false God to sacrifice themselves to to, to, to one of the gods we, we send people to lost peoples like that, to tell them that there's, there's a true and living God and he loves you so much that he sacrificed himself for you. You don't have to go to India to find idol worship. It's all around us in our culture because if you are empty, you will find a God substitute. The, the emptiness in people's lives is going to be filled with something. God substitutes idols. And it could be money. It could be sex or some sinful relationship. It could be power. It could be video games. <laughs> it could be politics or some politician. It could be some conspiracy theory that people find online, some crazy conspiracy theory like QAnon. But people who are empty will find God's substitutes. They will lead to nothing but ruin. Pascal said there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Turn from idols. Turn to Jesus. So we see God's heart for all peoples here. Second, we see God's plan to renew all peoples comes through one people. God's plan to renew all peoples comes through one people. Let's look at verse 2. Who has stirred up someone from the east? In righteousness, he calls to him to serve. The Lord hands nations over to him. He subdues kings. He makes him like dust with his sword, like wind-driven stubble with his bow. So what's going on here? So the someone from the east that verse 2 is talking about is King Cyrus of Persia. So what's going to happen is that the, the, the exile that Isaiah has been prophesying about is going to happen. In 586 BC, the Babylonians come, they invade Judah, they ransack Jerusalem, they take the people away to Babylon as exiles. That's 586. But then in 539 BC, the Persians 
conquer the Babylonians, and King Cyrus of Persia issues a decree that the Jews can return to their homeland. That's what Isaiah's talking about here. The one from the east that he's talking about is, is, is Cyrus. But who's in charge of this whole deal? <laughs> who's pulling the strings? Is it Cyrus? Oh no, it's God. Who stirred him up to do it, to issue that decree? It's God, right? Verse two, who has stirred up someone from the east? So listen, God is the one who is sovereign over history, right? It was, it was God who was going to, going to do this. But that raises another question. Why is God so concerned about this one people, the Jewish people? Why does, why does he choose them to begin with? And why is he so concerned that even when they get into trouble, that they be able to come back to their homeland and continue as a people? What's going on there? Why is God so concerned about preserving the Jewish people here? It's because God's plan for renewing all peoples comes through this people. Look at verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. So, when God first chooses Israel, he comes to Abraham. And he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to create this new people through you. But my purpose in doing that is not just to bless this people. It's that this one people would be used as a means of my blessing to all peoples. So let's look at Genesis 12, 2 and 3. God comes to Abraham here in Genesis 12 and he says what? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And, and what? All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God chooses this one people, Israel, to be a light to the rest of the nations and to bring blessing to the rest of the nations. He chooses this one people, to be his means of renewing all peoples. But, but, but what's the story of the Old Testament? What happens after this? Well, well, what we see is that God's people turn away from him. And they're judged. They're sent into exile in Babylon. But does that mean that God is going to just let his promises fall to the ground? Oh, no. No. God brings them back from, from exile. Brings them back to their land. But, th but then what's going to happen? Even after the Jews return to the land <laughs> in 539, they're, they're going to turn away from God again. Does that mean that God's going to let his promises just fall to the ground? Oh, no. The promise is that all peoples are going to be, be blessed through this people. So what does God do? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. 
Jesus of Nazareth, who is Israel's Messiah and Lord of the world. And Jesus gives us this assignment. Go to all the world. Go to all the peoples and make disciples. That's the mission. And that brings us to the third thing. God's protection and power for those on mission with him. God's protection and power for those on mission with him. Verse 10. Oh, <laughs> I love verse 10. I text this verse a lot of times to people who are going through difficult times in their lives. I encourage you to commit it to memory. Verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Listen, I believe in scripture memory. <laughs> this is a great verse to commit to memory. In its original context, it is written to exiles in need of encouragement. But in a way, that's us too, right? Because we're in, we're in exile in a sense. Scripture refers to us many times as, as exiles, as sojourners, right? Because we're not home yet. Heaven's our home. Ultimately, the new heaven and earth. We're not there yet. We're, we're living in a sinful world exi as exiles, as sojourners. Sometimes life is really difficult here. It might be for you right now. Maybe you're going through challenges and burdens today. This promise in verse 10 stands, brother, sister. It stands for you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. What you're dealing with, God's, gonna, God's got it. You know why? Because he's got you. He's holding on to you. With his righteous right hand. Let's look at verse, verses 11 and 12. Be sure that all who are enraged against you will be ashamed and disgraced. Those who contend with you will become as nothing and will perish. You will look for those who contend with you, but you will not find them. Those who war against you will become absolutely nothing. In other words, the biggest challenges in our lives and, and, and ultimately the enemy that we face and principalities and powers of darkness, Satan's forces. God says, I've got it. I can handle them. It might be a big problem for you. It's not for me. Verse 13 and 14. For I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, <laughs> you men of Israel. I will help you. This is the Lord's declaration. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. <laughs> I love that. He says in verse 14, do not fear, you worm, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob is like another term for Israel. Um, but he says that to us, right? What did we talk about last week? 
We talked about exchanging our weakness for God's strength, right? We, we talked about humbling ourselves before God so that he can fill us with his power. We talked about 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, my power is made perfect in weakness. My power works best in weakness. How do we experience the power of God when we acknowledge our own powerlessness? When we acknowledge our, that we are worms. <laughs> but you know what? God, God takes worms like us. And when we humble ourselves before him and we say, Lord, I can't, but you can. <laughs> he takes worms like us and he makes us into his workmanship. And not only that, but he pours out living water, the living water of a spirit into our lives. Look at this water imagery that, that begins in verse 17. The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. I will answer them. I am the Lord, the God of Israel. I will not abandon them. When you humble yourself before God and acknowledge your own spiritual bankruptcy before him, when you acknowledge your powerlessness, when you say, Lord, I need you. I surrender. I need you. He delights in doing what? Pouring out living water upon you. Verse 18. I will open rivers on the barren heights. <laughs> Look at this water imagery. I will open rivers on the barren heights and springs in the middle of the plains. I will turn the desert into a pool and dry land into springs. Do you feel sometimes spiritually dry? We all do at times. You feel sometimes like you're in a, a, a desert. <laughs> Spiritually dry, parched. God delights in pouring out the living waters of his spirit upon his people. I love the scene in the Gospel of John in John 7. In verses 37 and following, where it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Holy Spirit. Listen, we need to ask God for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, the tense there means be, be continually filled with the Spirit. Because we tend to leak. <laughs> we need to be continually refreshed and filled with the Holy Spirit. So listen, ask God Ask God to fill you afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. Make this a regular prayer in your life. Lord, give me fresh fillings of your Spirit. I can't do this without you. I can't live the Christian life without you. I can't. I need your empowerment. I need your direction. I need the fresh anointing and filling of the Spirit. 
And ultimately, why do we ask for that? So that we can just have great ex spiritual experiences? No. It's so that being transformed ourselves, God can use us to bless other people. That's why. Look at verses 19 and, and 20. I will plant cedar, acacia, myrtle, and olive trees in the wilderness. I will put juniper, elm, and cypress trees together in the desert so that, look at this purpose clause, so that what? In other words, God says, I will pour out my spirit on my people, but what's the ultimate end of that? What's the ultimate reason for that? It's so that, verse 20, all may see and know, consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created. So, the reason that we should seek fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit and the reason that God pours out his spirit to refresh and bless his people ultimately is so that we can be a blessing to other people. And that begins with your, with, with, with lost friends and family members. Had just a beautiful conversation this week with somebody in our church who had had the opportunity to, to share Christ with her dad. And she said, he was, he was my one that I've been praying for. And God opened the door for me to share the gospel with him. And she had the peace of knowing that when he passed away that he had gone home to be with the Lord. God fills us with the Spirit so that gospel conversations like that can happen. And he does it so that ultimately God would use us through our, our prayers and our gifts and sometimes our, our going for all peoples to know him. Ray Ortland says this, by refreshing us, God increases his own glory. The outflowings of his renewing grace open people's minds to see, know, consider, and understand how good he really is. That's why he pours out refreshment from heaven. And we serve his purpose by enjoying his abundant goodness in the sight of the nations. Therefore, seek this outpouring. Embrace this fullness. Experience God. The most convicting answer to our times is the manifest presence of God in our midst. Believe that the sovereign spirit can uphold you, strengthen you, refresh you. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that. We cannot live the Christian life. We cannot be on mission for you without the empowerment of your spirit. And so, Lord, we pray for fresh outpourings of the spirit in our lives. We ask that for our church corporately. Um, Lord, that our lives would be swept up, the story of our lives would be swept up into the larger story the big story of what you're doing in this drama of redemption through your son. It's in his, in his name that we pray, amen. Okay, just a couple of um, quick announcements before you go. We've got our quarterly business meeting that's coming up this Wednesday night, our normal 
uh, quarterly business meeting. That happens at 6.30 um, this Wednesday night. It'll be here in this room. You can also plug into that uh, virtually. Um, and then in February, uh, new things kicking off on Wednesday night. So on beginning in February, on Wednesday nights, we're going to have um, some adult discipleship classes that will be going on. You'll be hearing more about them in the next couple of weeks. Um, Awana is going to be happening then. Our student ministry is going to be happening then. So uh, that all that kicks back off, off on February 3rd. It will all be at 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights. God bless you, church. Go in the power of his spirit this week. Love you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 